No, I do want healthy emotional uh, environments around me. I do have places I can grow. Um, I do impact others by my behavior, and I care. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Career Brand Story, a podcast that provides expert career coaching every week. I'm Jeremy Tudor, and on today's show, we're continuing our theme through the end of the year, Know Yourself, as we focus on emotional intelligence. There's a lot of buzz around emotional intelligence, and I want today to be really practical. We're going to talk about it on a very high level of what emotional intelligence is and why it's important. And uh, looking forward to having this conversation with Jeb Graff, our commercial photographer and creative consultant and producer of The Career Brand Story, and also Brian Post, our executive coach, uh, who sits out in the wonderful west of Colorado. Uh, Glad to see you guys here today. How are you both doing? Doing great. Happy to be here as usual and looking forward to this conversation about emotional intelligence. Yeah, doing fine, except for as I look out my window, the skies are still remarkably cloudy from uh, wildfires that are only 30 miles away. And so the summer here in Colorado has been pretty, pretty weird that way. So one of the few times it's been actually good to stay inside. Yeah. So do you hope uh, with the winter and the snowfall, will that hopefully take care of some of those wildfires out there for you guys? We hope so. I mean, three weeks ago, we were 96 degrees one day and had a snow the next. And uh, we insane. were hoping that snow would, would put out the fire, but it didn't. It, it dampened it a little bit. It's, it's a pretty critical situation. It's not as big as in California, but it's pretty, right. big. Uh, yeah. it's pretty big. And uh, it's really changed our, our life here to have this, this constant smoke thing going on in the air. Wow. You know, nothing like 2020, right? You just don't know what's happening all the way to the end of the year. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Let's have a pandemic and then have the world catch on fire. (laughs) Well, it's kind of good for this topic, I guess, because 2020 has felt like an emotional roller coaster um, for a lot of people. And so, you know, I think that actually talking about emotional intelligence is a really great topic for us. Um, considering the amount of stress and change. And um, the word that I've used for myself has just been overwhelmed. Um, And so, you know, how do you manage your emotions in that kind of high stress and high, um, you know, emotional state of everything changing around you um, is is challenging, I think, for everybody. I, I don't know anybody who's sitting outside of this bucket that isn't being affected in some way where they need to have a better awareness around what their emotional intelligence is. I, I would even add the word sort of a, a, an attrition fatigue. Uh, mm. it's, our, our, our coping skills are pretty remarkable. Humans are remarkable at responding to situations. We're better at responding than we are at preventing. Um, but you can feel the fatigue individually within couples, within families, within communities, that this that this pandemic thing is going on. The problems continue to be problems. Solutions don't seem to be coming. The initial phase of coping, we got this, is is starting to wear on people. And then add a bunch of wildfires to it. Um, I think I think there's this wearing down. And and I agree. This is a this is a strategic time to talk about emotions because yeah. we're like seven months into an emotionally fatiguing season. Yeah, you know, so behaviorally, I'm a very optimistic, outgoing, uh, you know, seize the day type of guy. 
Um, and um, I actually did get COVID, right? You all know that in August um, that kind of went through our office. And from that point forward, it felt like it was just small things. It didn't really matter what it was. Um, so I was in um, an office depot just trying to buy a $2 notebook and the card wouldn't go through right. It wasn't my card. It was the way the guy just kept hitting the same button over and over again, looking at me as if like, like it was my card was the issue. And I finally just was like, threw up my hands. is like, I'll just, I'll just come back. I'll just come back later. And it's felt like these small things all along yeah. um, and, and the fatigue and the tiredness, um, even though behaviorally, that's not typically me, like, gosh, I have felt that, you know, where it's just kind of like, okay, I, I got to do today. And I kind of look at what I got to do today and I get through it. And I know last night, man, I just hit the bed and I was out, I was done, you know, type of thing. Um, and I hear that from our clients. Um, you can hear it in their voices. Um, I see it on our team even. Um, and so I a hundred percent agree with you. Um, there, there is a fatigue of wanting it to be done. The thing that I think I'm cautious about saying is I remember in 2019 coming to this point of the year and going, man, I can't wait till 2019 is over. <laughs> and I'm concerned right. about saying, man, I can't wait till 2020 is over. And then 2021 somehow becomes worse. So I'm personally just not saying that. I'm just going to kind of ride it out and see what happens as we go into the next year. And hopefully it's a better than where we've been. Yeah. Reminds me of one, one of my favorite books for, uh, for growing is Michael Hyatt's book on your best year ever. Uh, I wonder how he's selling that book this year. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Next year could be your best year ever. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because we know well, this is not your best year ever. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, unless you unless you are the CEO at Zoom. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. <laughs> unless or, you hit or, the jackpot or, there, or you were able to ramp up on mask manufacturing. That's right. <laughs> a great year for that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. Um, when we talk about self-awareness again, I, I really want to just be really practical about this and talk about what it is, because I think we hear about it, we read about it, and it can kind of feel like it's a buzzword. Like, do I really have EQ? Can you really measure that? Um, and I think the other piece to this is that um, that's really cool that I've learned about emotional intelligence is that you actually can learn it and you can grow with it too. Um, so it doesn't really matter where you're at in your EQ, um, you're able to grow with it. And there's really four areas that we talk about that kind of make up emotional intelligence. Um, so I'm going to ask a first question. This is very kind of subjective um, in mm -hmm. some sense. Um, without taking some formal assessments, which we do offer that. Um, but I'll just throw this out. How do you all feel you are with your EQ? Do you think it's like, if you had to put like, you know, uh, low, moderate, high to your EQ, where would you put yourself? That's, that's kind of, a feels like a trick question. Because I want to say hi, but there's always room to grow, right? So I'll say moderate. Well, uh, here, here's my story. I, I, I'm a very self-reflective person. Uh, I monitor my feelings and my thoughts a lot. I've done that 
since I was a teenager. And as I started to get in touch with EQ before I ever took an assessment, I would have said I'm quite high on EQ. When I took the assessment, um, there was cause for humility. <laughs> <laughs> I can see and so that. I thought yeah. I, I was pretty high. And I, I, I still think I'm relatively high on emotional intelligence. But the assessment that we use uh, really did point out some areas where I went, okay, so guess what? <laughs> I've got room to go. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I like to think that I'm super high on, you know, my EQ for as much as I talk about behaviors and motivations and self-awareness. But um, after going through um, becoming certified in emotional intelligence and, and studying it and learning more about it, um, I can admit there are, there are these moments where I definitely uh, – and again, I think this comes back to um, the fatigue and everything. There's moments where I'm I'm probably pretty low, um, and I can think of a particular instance um, that I had with the team a few weeks ago, and it was super low. And I had to come back and apologize to them and take ownership, um, you know, because um, it, it it was cloudy to say at the least. That that's the best way I could probably say it. Um, they probably thought it was more stormy. Um, but um, so there's always kind of that place for us um, to really be able to grow in it. Um, I happened to get my um, certificate um, in the mail. And uh, so if you follow me on Instagram, I played the pomp and circumstance and walked into <laughs> our bedroom that. holding the certificate <laughs> to Christy. And then later on, I posted the, the picture again and um you know, um, Christy is an Enneagram for, um, you know, she is an empath. So she feels the emotions in a room and takes those in. And, uh, she, she's always telling me that, you know, different times, like you need to learn your feelings. And so I told her that this certificate now officially says that I know feelings. <laughs> <laughs> you put a so, stamp on it. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but, but having a piece of paper that says, you know, oh, great, you, you know, EQ uh, doesn't mean that you have high EQ by any means. Right. Um, there's always a place for us to learn. So the four areas, the first place that we really talk about is self-awareness. Um, I think a lot of people probably hear that term the most um, and in kind of a first place is that you have to have self-awareness. And self-awareness is the ability to recognize and understand your moods, emotions, and drives. So people who've mastered EQ have self-awareness. Um, they can observe, you know, what's going on with their thoughts and their feelings. You know, thoughts are going to form your attitudes. They're going to form your beliefs, your expectations. You know, they create the context of, um, for the evaluation of your experience. Um, and so there's some practical things without taking an assessment. And if you're a note taker, you might write these three questions down, but these are three questions you can kind of help yourself kind of check in with your self-awareness. What is it that I'm experiencing right now? Um, why am I experiencing that? And how is it Im impacting me and my ability to perform? And by asking those three questions, you're going to gain some pretty good self-awareness. You're checking in with yourself and you're going to get a pretty good picture of what you what you are feeling and what your thoughts are and how they're impacting you in that particular environment. Well, I I totally agree with that. 
but I think there has to be some clutter removed and some groundwork laid even to ask those questions. Uh, first of all, there's the myth that I grew up with that I still occasionally hear. Did you know that men think it's women who feel? And that's something that, that I heard quite a bit uh, when I was a kid. You know, men are basically rational, uh, that they, they have a problem in that they can be cold and unfeeling, and that's their downside. Well, women, they're really in touch with their emotions, but they're not always very rational. And that was rampant in the 19th century. You know, uh, and and so that's just nonsense. Uh, and and I had to ask these these questions to myself. Well, if that's true, why do I cry so much? And why do I know so many women who are smarter than I am? <laughs> right. You know. So the first thing we have to do is clear that out. This myth of men think and women feel is nonsense. Probably a closer statement or or a truer statement would be to say all people men and women are basically emotional beings who think right now, men and women have different ways of processing and expressing their emotions but let's just get on the table we're all emotional beings every one of us is an emotional being who thinks uh, and so just having that piece in place uh, will allow many people to say okay i have emotions now that i admit that i can take those steps uh, that you were talking about then the other challenge to even before we even get to those steps, Jeremy, is do we even know what emotions there are? Uh, Brene Brown's research, she found out that people on average can identify three emotions. That's it. And uh, how many emotions are there, for instance? Uh, Paul Ekman was a famous American psychologist in the 70s with the University of California, San Francisco, and he started studying facial expressions. And he came up with six basic emotions happiness and sadness, fear, disgust, anger, and surprise. Say so those are the six basic emotions. Since then, emotional in, um, research has, has taken it way on. Uh, a couple of years ago, some psychologists named Cowan and Keltner from the University of California, Berkeley, they came up with 27 by taking mm. over 2,000 videos of people. They came up with 27. So how many emotions are there? Uh, so I, I have to start first with, is it, can I admit that I'm an emotional being? Can I get that on the table and realize there's nothing wrong I said there? And what emotions are there? Uh, and, and then I can start thinking about what ones I'm feeling and why and how it's affecting me. So there's some pretty big pre-work that has to go on first. And it can be some hard work. And then you yeah, can approach and you know, the complexity of the fact that you can feel more than one emotion at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they overlap in a big way. Yeah. And you can just have a complete meltdown. <laughs> there, there's <laughs> all the emotions at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so something I was thinking about too, is that depending on how you grew up is also dependent on which emotions you learned to understand. Um, so I grew up in a household where we didn't really experience anger. Um, that was an emotion um, that was repressed. Um, I don't think that my parents meant to do that. It's just, I think their attitude was that we really never saw them argue. I can't tell you a single time I ever saw my parents upset at each other. Um, and so therefore I didn't really see anger. Um, my dad is a very optimistic person. I think that's where I get my optimism from, which I greatly appreciate. Um, but um, in that, um, I think that he's also very, very patient. Um, 
And so with that, um, you know, I don't know that I understood the emotion of anger, how to feel it, when I could feel it, um, and how to express it. Um, and I've only been learning that in the last three years that it's actually okay for me to get angry. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and that can, that could be any emotion, right? Um, it doesn't just have to be anger. That's my example. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of hard work that sometimes has to go in and explore, you know, what the emotions are, why maybe you are not in touch with that emotion. Yeah. Um, because when it comes to you the first time, I kind of, I, I'm a big Star Trekkie fan. Um, and so I love, you know, um, especially in the last three movies that they they did um, following Spock, right? Because, um, you know, um, Vulcan is, they, they're all logic. There's no emotion, right? Um, and so there's a scene where, man, he just gets plummeted um, by some kids and stuff. And then he comes back and, and hits them and you know, they're trying to evoke emotion out of him and mm. boy, do they evoke it. <laughs> it's all anger that comes out. Um, so we don't always know where that's coming from or why. So um, how do you, Brian, how do you feel like, where does someone start though? Where do you think someone starts to figure that out? Um, With the self-awareness piece you're talking about? Yeah. And like figuring out emotion even in them. Yeah. I, I, I really think this, this first step of self-awareness is the beginning. Um, yet we have to, to figure out what we are feeling, where those feelings are coming from and understanding how they're affecting us before we can regulate them, be aware of others and regulate others. Um, and it really can be a challenge. I, I was thinking about how I, I'm, I'm somebody who posts things all around me that I want to be important to me. I write things in my journal every day and I post things on the refrigerator and I memorize things so that I, I'm kind of constantly focused on what's important to me. I can still find myself way down an emotional path that I didn't want to go down before I'm even aware that I'm there. Mm -hmm. Anger or sadness or whatever. And, and I, I didn't even feel myself start down that path. And right. I'm way down it before I'm aware. So this is the challenge, isn't it? Um, is how do we, what triggers do we use? What disciplines do we use? What things do we have in place to cultivate an awareness so that um, we can take that first step. And, and there's no one answer for that, uh, but in our, in our coaching times, that's one of the things we help people with is, is develop that self-awareness. And yeah. quite frankly, it's a humbling deal because none of us is perfectly aware of our um, emotions and we need community to help us. And so it involves failing in front of others and have people come alongside us and say, hey, here's what I just saw, did you know that? Uh, and that's part of us developing that self-awareness is being in a community that can help us. But boy, is that vulnerable and, um, and humbling to do that. Yeah. And that's the key word is the vulnerability, um, which also Brene Brown talks a lot about and is, mm -hmm. you know, probably your trademark in identifying that. And, and we don't find that enough in today's workplace. Um, you know, it's more about putting up your armor um, being ready to defend yourself. Um, and look, I'm, I am stealth when it comes to, um, I don't know if that's the right word, but I, but I can send, I can send, I can send some pretty good emails, uh, and to knock people down if I want to. And I, I learned all that in corporate, you know, that that's, 
I, I knew how to play the chess game, you know, and strategically say and do what needed to be said and done in a way that put my armor on and probably cut other people down. Yeah. Um, and we see that all the time. So, um, me, the, we could, the, this subject's so big, we could spend this whole, um, podcast just on self-awareness, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but I think a part of it is just understanding how important this issue is because the reality is our emotions affect our ability to pay attention. They affect our decision-making. They affect our relationships. Our emotions affect our physical and mental health. They, they affect our performance. They affect our creativity. And, and so this is something that's really worth our time uh, investing in, uh, figuring yeah. out what our emotions, how they're impacting us, being aware of them. The other piece that's hard about this is that, um, I mean, how can you say it except this bluntly? It's messy. Get mm. into our emotions is messy. Uh, and, and yet if we don't, if we just say armored up, as you said, if we just say stealth, then this emotional lack of intelligence can sabotage our life. So mm -hmm. we either have a choice of armoring up and sabotaging our life or going through the vulnerable, humbling, messy process of emotional intelligence. Which one do you want? Yeah. I'd rather go through the humbling, vulnerable, messy process personally, but it's yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah. It'd be really hard. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a theory that if you, this is such a, this is off a rabbit trail for a minute. We may cut this out of the podcast, but I have this theory that if you don't do the work here, you're going to do the work on the other side. Um, and I know lots of people think, when you get to the other side, like, you know, we're going to like sit in clouds and eat bonbons or I don't know what yeah. we do over there. But, but I just have this feeling that um, this is ongoing work um, and there's a huge value of figuring it out on this side of heaven and, um, and building really meaningful relationships too, you know. Um, going back to not just being emotional beings, but, and I don't, I don't talk a lot about my faith. I don't think I've ever mentioned it on my podcast, but um, I also believe we're spiritual beings. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's huge value in diving into this here and diving into that mess because it's yeah. going to make the other side all the mo more better. So um, the second piece that you think about in emotional intelligence then is self-regulation and that's the ability to control or redirect, redirect your disruptive, impulsive or moods, um, be able to kind of suspend judgment and think before acting. So um, we have emotions about things as they happen, um, and our emotions may affect the decisions that we make. So last night, I was trying to get some work done. It was late. I was tired. And my five-year-old opens her bedroom door, you know, and at 1030, still not in bed. And I reacted and said, Belle, go to bed. <laughs> and Christy walked by and was like that basically, uh, to put in short words, I did not have high EQ at the moment, right? <laughs> right. I was reacting. Um, I was not suspending my judgment. I was making judgment on that. So it's a really self-regulation is a skill 
that we use on a day-to-day basis um, to manage our emotions in the moment um, that an event occurs so that we can really take thoughtful actions. Um, High self-awareness is going to enable you to take responsibility for your feelings. Self-regulation is when we're not having the best of days. Um, So, couple of practical questions. Again, if you are a note taker, you might write these down. Um, some self-regulation, self-regula- I can't say that word well, questions that you can ask yourself, what could or should I do with or about what I'm experiencing? Um, why should or shouldn't I? And how can I appropriately express or impact what I'm experiencing? Um, and actually the second one is for me a really good question. Um, because I think we always dive into, well, I'm going to do this. And so I really like the question of, well, why shouldn't I do this? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so those simple questions can really help you identify like the appropriate action to kind of be able to take in whatever your current emotional state is in. Um, and so I think it's being mindful of those questions. Um, and I really like, um, Brian, what you just said, like you kind of, write what's important out in different spots. And so, well, a really practical thing is maybe write out these questions in some key spots where you right. could see them to kind of remind you of them. Yeah. And, and I would say regulation is all about that. Um, because uh, as I said earlier, we can get way down an emotional path. We don't want to go down before we're even aware we're on it. That's the tricky thing about emotions. Uh, and so in terms of regulating we have to learn certain skills to recognize that we're heading down that path first. So for instance, usually when we're going, when, when our emotions are starting to get out of control in one way or the other, right. Whether it's sadness or anger or whatever, we will actually feel something. There will be a physical response. It might be a feeling in our gut. It might be tension in our neck or our shoulders. If we can learn to be aware of that, if we can say, what, why is my gut feeling weird? Oh, I'm getting mad here. You know, Um, that's the sort of stuff that we need to learn the skills to regulate it first is to recognize a a tool that that I use often that I got from somebody else. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. It's called ruler and it's an acronym and it means recognize, understand, label, express, regulate. Um, And so that to me, the regulation process comes when you recognize a feeling, you understand where it's coming from and what's going, what it's going to cause. You label it. You say it's this feeling. Then you express it. And then you're on the road uh, to regulating it. So those sort of things are helpful. Uh, Like I say, I, I think because we have we can get off track so easily. That's why I think putting things up in front of us. Um, like one of the things I have around me every day is at the end of day, at the end of the day, what kind of life will you want to have led? That's a question I have in front of me all the time. And uh, with that question in front of me, it makes me think about my emotions at a given moment. Is this what I'm going to want to have felt at the end of the day? So there's a variety of tools we can use to grow into regulation. Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little scared to talk about it though, because in my, um, <laughs> In my assessment, where I was correct that I that I have high emotional um, intelligence is in awareness, self awareness, and in awareness of others. Where I clearly didn't do as well is regulating my own. So I can know what I'm feeling and then just handle it wrong. 
I hope I'm not the only one. Yes, I'm mad. And this is the wrong way to handle it. And here we go. Game on. <laughs> yeah. One of the, one of the things that I use is the pause button for anything yep. is just like, if you can't identify what the emotion is right away, you can usually at least know I'm feeling something and let me pause before I act. And that helps a lot if you're struggling with regulation is at least stopping for a second. Right. And it's really okay in the context of relationships. Uh, if you realize that's happening, you say, you know what? I feel myself going somewhere that I don't think I want to go. And my relationship with you is way too important for me to blow it. Can I hit the pause button? And I've got mm. some time this afternoon at three or tomorrow morning at nine. Can we just, can, can we set aside 15 minutes to discuss this? That is good regulation and good relationship management to have the maturity to hit that pause button. As long as you don't leave the person hanging, as long as you give a time where you say, let's do deal with this, but not right now. Right. <laughs> not right now. Or right now is not going to be the best time. <laughs> right. And, you know, and on the flip side, the short pause can also, um, be helpful for positive moments, not just in moments of conflict, but it can be helpful to pause so that you don't miss out on some great emotion and some great feelings um, so that you can recognize what's going on in the moment. I know somebody yeah. in these uh, at these moments like this where they're aware that something's going on, but they're not quite aware yet exactly what it is. They'll actually say, you know what? I need five minutes here. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break, everybody. I'm going to go for a little bit of a walk. I'm going to get a drink of water. I just kind of need to clear my head and figure out what's going on inside of me right now. Let's take a five minute break and we'll all come right back. And people respond to that because they don't want a big, weird interaction. Right. Right. So there's an example of reg a regulation tool as well. That's uh, that's actually why I think that so many of us have these so-called shower arguments or shower <laughs> thoughts is because that's yeah. like the only time of the day that we're giving time to ourselves and we're not just reacting we're actually, we just have to be there <laughs> taking the shower and there's nobody to talk to and nothing to react to other than our own thoughts. Yeah. We have all made like our greatest speeches there in the shower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> great speeches, great comebacks, really cringy moments yeah. where we remember like embarrassing stuff from the fifth grade, <laughs> but yes, the shower, yeah. The sanctum. I think part of well, what we're, I think the principle we're coming to here is that usually uh, reacting immediately and quickly is more likely to get you the wrong response. And so yeah. part of regulation is tools to learn to slow down a little bit. I think that's the big idea there. Sorry, Jeremy, I cut you off by about half a word. No, I'm just self-regulating here. Because <laughs> so. you're mad at me, right? Yeah, yeah just self-regulating. <laughs> no, that's like the oh, emotional you know, equivalent of you can't fire me, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I was just thinking about also just thinking about the way that like that I'm wired um, and, and kind of going back to the vulnerability piece of um, having safe people in your life um, that you're also able to talk out those things, even if you don't know what you feel. So um, Jeb, Jeb is one of those people for me. He gets that a lot. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> here comes the phone call, but, but he's, he's really good at like giving me that other perspective, you know? Um, and I, I have a few of those different people in my life that, 
I, and I might personally talk out the same issue with a, a couple of different people because I appreciate the perspective um, from different people. And then um, it helps me talk out and figure out what I'm feeling. And then I'm at a place where, okay, now I can kind of come back and sit down and talk with that person, um, you know, or that situation. Um, and so I think that's going back, Brian, to what you're saying is, you know, you can't, you can't go about this alone. Community is really important. Right. Um, and being a part of a, a network. And I think about leaders in business, it's a lonely place. Um, and to talk about this and to be vulnerable about your emotions. Um, you know, I've sat in so many meetings where the guy or person just kind of blows up in a meeting and everyone walks away and go, well, that's Bill. That's what Bill does. Yeah. You know, and the sad part to me in that is that if you probably sat down with Bill and he was able to be vulnerable enough, you'd find out, gosh, he really doesn't actually like to blow up in meetings. Right. So I think there's something to be said, even in the self-regulation, how important it is um, to find safe people that can help hold you accountable to, you know, to yourself in that, um, you know, giving people permission to say, hey, um, I, I think I, th I think you're feeling something here. <laughs> you need to talk about it. You need to take a break. You know, I think there's a huge value in that. I, one of the, one of the deficiencies I have in life is I, uh, I do not know how to use tools. I mean, I could tell you some of the most embarrassing stories about my uh, incompetence in using the most simple of tools. Um, I'm more of a music oriented athletics oriented sort of person when it comes time I mean, I talked about throwing away a lamp one time before I even checked for the light bulb. And all it was was a light bulb. No lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what that's done for me is made me understand the value of tools. The people who are really good at things aren't just naturally good. They've used, they've learned how to they've learned what the right tools are and they've learned how to use the tools. And that's the difference there. And I think there's an analogy there with emotional intelligence especially with self-regulation, is that there are tools that we can learn to regulate our emotions. They're very teachable and they're very practicable. So this doesn't have to be a mystery thing for us. Uh, and that's a big part yeah. of what coaching is, is co showing people what the tools are and teaching them how to use them. Right. They can be well, and I, very simple. It, it makes me think of if you've ever had the misfortune of being in the hospital or I guess in some doctor's offices and there's that chart that's like your pain scale on is from one to 10, you know, instead of just saying it hurts, you're taking the time to figure out where the thresholds are and what level it is. And that, you know, that's just awareness and it's really simple. It's a extremely simple tool to use. Yeah. Well, so that's self-awareness and self-regulation. The other two components then are the social awareness and social regulation. So social awareness is the ability to understand the emotional makeup of other people, right? So basically, how do you read the room? And how do you take kind of an emotional temperature of when you walk into a room? So there's a couple of different ways you can kind of visualize this. Um, you could kind of go by like the thermometer um, or a speedometer, right? 
Um, so you walk into a room and just use simple colors like red, yellow, uh, green, yellow, red, you know, green, the emotional temperature is good in here. It's positive yellow. Hey, there's maybe some underlying tension. Something's going on. And obviously red, there's an explosion of emotion, right? Someone is not regulating their emotions well, and it's affecting the whole room. Right. And I think that's, what's interesting to me is that emotions are not just something we express, but they are what we feel. And so you can walk into a room and you, you can feel kind of what the room feels like. Right. Um, it's why I think it's so important for us as leaders. We kind of set the tone for meetings. We set the tone for organization, um, Mm -hmm. you know, for workplace, um, to give you a really, uh, an example, um, one of our team members on Monday was here at the office by themselves, uh, and felt overwhelmed, um, by just coming into the week's work and were texting me a lot of questions and things. Um, and, so um, I wasn't coming into the office till that afternoon, but Christy was coming into the office. And so we actually talked about that later, that when Christy came into the office, it was actually a real encouragement, right? Because she came in as a leader and set a tone. Um, hey, you're not alone in, in the work that's being done here and um, brought kind of a calming presence, right? And so we can affect, well, we can it's not that we can, we do affect the people that we work around um, and live around. And so having social awareness um, is really important to come in and be observant of what other feelings, what other people's feelings are um, and taking those in, in consideration. And so like key questions that you can kind of ask yourself around self, self-awareness, um, what is the other person feeling? in this situation. Um, you know, why might, um, they be experiencing that and how's it going to impact them for their ability to actually be able to, to perform, um, good social awareness, um, is invaluable both personally and professionally. Um, and so, you know, improving in this place really improves and helps you build better relationships with other people. Well, the thoughts that occur to me is that there's also some pre-work that needs to be done there. It has to do with just the discipline of being aware of others. Uh, A a joke that I heard years ago um, is that it once goes something like this. A guy says, you know, when I was a teenager, I was really obsessed with what other people were thinking about me, really worried about it, affected the color shoes I put on, what my hair was like, you know, who my friends were. It was bad. Then uh, when I became a young adult, I still cared about what people are thinking about me, but not nearly as much. As I've gotten into my middle age, what I figured out is they're not thinking about me at all. Uh, Most (laughs) people are completely absorbed in their own world, which if you're trying to sneak a second piece of cheesecake at the party, that's probably good because they're not watching you anyway. They're thinking about how, how they can get it. The bad news is that I do the same thing. When I walk into a room, I'm usually saying, who's here that's going to like me? I'm going to go gravitate toward them so that I can feel good. Where's the right. food that I want? Let me get there first so that I can feel good. And we and because social settings tend to have risks involved, when we go into it without even realizing it, we tend to enter social settings looking for comfort and safety and taking care of ourselves. 
And that attitude right there completely derails us from noticing the other people in the room. And social awareness starts by saying, when I enter this room, I'm going to view this, and I don't mean this to sound degrading at all, but this is the human zoo. And like when you go to the zoo, you watch the animals, but by far the most, the most fascinating animal in zoos are the humans. Sit down at a bench and watch the humans go by. And it's kind of the same way. I'm going to enter this room as a student of people. Who's standing off there alone? Who's obviously upset? You know, and start reading the room. I, there's a whole discipline and, and um, attitude there that you have to adapt, that you have to adopt before you can even get to social awareness. As, this, as I enter this room, it's not about me. I want to pay attention to how people are doing in this room. Yeah, that's the um, what I think is really powerful about learning DISC um, and recognizing people's behaviors. Um, it's a really easy tool to pick up and be able to go into a room and quickly understand how are people different from me in this room. Mm-hmm. Um, really practical tool. It changed the way that I led um, and managed people. Um, and so there really isn't uh, there really isn't a situation that I would find myself in um, if I'm being consciously aware of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where I would feel overly tensed or overwhelmed by, or, you know, I might sit in a room and, and decide, gosh, I really don't like this person and the way they're behaving, but I would still be able to find a workable solution with them. And I credit a lot of that by understanding DISC and being able to understand what their communication style is and what their behaviors are, even if they aren't self-aware. And I think that's also important in social awareness is that you're probably walking into a room, right? where there really is a lack of self-awareness yeah. for most people. The other thing it makes me think about is uh, I think we have to understand that it, we actually have skin in the game for how other people are doing. Uh, I mean, the obvious example is Bill blowing up at the office meeting, right? Right. If Bill blows up at the office meeting, it's a fail for all of us, not just for Bill. Right. You know, that hurts our business. That hurts our bottom line. And so uh, how other people in my world are doing emotionally affect me. And, and it, may not, it, it may not be as obvious as Bill, but the reality is we as people are inextricably, unescapably connected to each other. And if somebody else isn't doing well, then somewhere in the fabric of human prosperity or hurting, it's hurting me too. And therefore, it's worth me going into a room and saying, how's my tribe doing here? Or how is it? Because it, maybe it's just for one hour, but this is my tribe for the next hour. And how, how are people doing here? Because not only do they matter, but it, it's going to affect me how they're doing. So I, th- I think having that insight and that I've got skin in the game, how people are doing in this room helps me want to be aware of them. Yeah, I could tell you some great horrid stories um, from my ministry year sitting in elders meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually, i one of the pieces of advice that I got from someone is that I learned a long time ago was um, as goes the meetings is not as the church goes. Because <laughs> you could sit in some pretty bad meetings, but that didn't dictate how things were really going. And I remember there was one guy uh, that um, had blown up um, in previous situations and he eventually blew up in front of me. And, um, and, uh, 
but the but everyone around him was like, that's just who he is. That's that's fine. Um, and the sad part in that is that, um, you know, it really, um, it it really, I don't know if I'm using the right word. It denigrated. Is denigrated the right word here? It denigrated the relationships in the room. Um, and it didn't bring people closer in any means. And in, in a faith-based environment, man, that's the one place you would think that they would, they would actually be more concerned and get that right. You know? Yeah. Um, and I've experienced that in corporate environment too, you know? Um, and it's such an unfortunate thing when that happens because you, you're not going to work closer together. Um, you're hesitant. You may even be afraid um, in how to approach that person um, to try to push any initiative forward um, because you don't know what the, the reaction is going to be. Um, so that also gets into um, social regulation then. And social regulation is the ability to influence the emotional clarity of others through a proficiency in managing relationships and building networks. Um, this one is actually like, this was kind of a newer component for me to think about um, because, so this is your ability to build a network of good relationships. And like, so a good social regulation person can go in and take the temperature of the room and respond in ways that help like build the common ground um, and good so, uh, social regulation and social skills. This is like collaboration, right? That's what brings out good quality work, good personal relationships. Um, what's interesting to me in this space, um, and again, this comes back to kind of how I'm wired, um, like I can go into the room in it to win it. Um, and so this says that, says that that mentality doesn't always work, right? Um, with, doesn't work without bringing other people along with you. Um, so as a high ID, I, and I, especially when I coach other high Ds, you know, the illustration I give them is we go in and we are, we are driving the train and, and typically we're driving the train and we're not giving the signal. We're not blowing the horn, but so people have to either figure out how to get on that train, get out of that way of the train, or they're just going to get run over. Right. Yeah. And so, so social regulation says that for me personally, if I'm driving the train, I'm also signaling and I'm paying attention to how to bring people up and get on the train with me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's challenging. I think um, when you have a lot of different types of behaviors um, experiences and emotions going on in one room. So some questions you can ask yourself. Um, again, what could or should I utilize in the situation? So what are the tools, right, um, that I should be doing? Again, why should or shouldn't I be using these tools? So not all tools, not all things that you, <laughs> the way you're going to respond is appropriate. And then um, how can I positively influence this situation to leave it better than I found it? And some some thoughts that come to my mind, first of all, is I think that um, many people, I'd have no idea what the percentage is, uh, I think many people would have to be sold on the fact that they can influence the situation in the first place. 
I think a lot of people go into a situation and go, well, you know, I don't, I, I can't help this. This is just what he's going through or what this group is going through or they don't care, you know? Um, uh, so the idea that I can be influential and that I care enough about human relationships to want to have an influence. I think there's some work that needs to be done there. Uh, and then again, you talk about tools. There are basic tools for influencing uh, a social situation that, uh, that are teachable, that are learnable, that you can practice them. Uh, just for instance, the one, the biggest tool for regulating a social situation is to set an example, you know, the, the way you choose to react, which goes back to self-awareness and self-regulation. So isn't, we talked about how all this overlaps. The biggest tool for regulating others is being aware of myself and regulating myself and choosing how I'm going to move forward in this situation. And that sets a tone in a group. Um, Knowing the line between uh, that uh, it, you, you, you may not be able to give a person an answer or a solution, but you can give them your presence. Lots of times people don't need answers. They don't need solutions. They just need to know they're not alone. So knowing what, what you have to offer and what you don't have to offer has a lot to do with regulating a situation as well. So these are all teachable. They're very powerful and they make the situation better. Yeah. I think yeah. about, um, I'm, I'm the kind of person who quickly absorbs the energy of a room and um, unfortunately internalizes it and thinks it's because of me or something. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I've really been working on is giving people the space to be in the mood or place that they're in, but not taking that on for my own. Yeah. And me one too. way I think about that is, you don't really put out a fire by adding more fuel to it. You know, <laughs> I don't need to go in and say, Oh, my coworkers in a bad mood today. So I'll be in a bad mood with them. That just <laughs> kills the energy <laughs> and it's much harder to come, come out of that, you know? So I, if I went in positive, I stay positive. I'm not rude. I don't, um, you know, walk over the fact that they're in a bad mood. I can recognize it. I can empathize with them, but I don't have to take on their energy. I can still, you know, inject my own positive energy, my own attitude and, um, you know, try to lead there. And sometimes that certainly helps them. And sometimes it doesn't either one's okay. But the point is that you recognize it and you don't just idly do nothing about it or make it worse. Well, and that's really, um, there's another component to all of this emotional intelligence is your motivation, right? And keeping in mind, you know, um, you know, what's your end goal? What, what are you, how are you trying to bring everyone back into the room, back into kind of a positive emotional state? And like, I think the science around it um, is that we retain, we retain like negative experiences five times longer than we do positive ones. And so, you know, even though uh, you may not change necessarily that coworker's mood um, by you being positive, you're still one of those positive experiences that go into the bank for them. That is better than having yet another negative kind of experience, right? 
Yeah. And so I think there is power in that, even if, even if you are not necessarily feeling like you're being that change agent in, in the relationship, you may very well be and not just realize it. Um, and they may not even realize that, to be honest, right? That comes back to what their self-awareness is around that. But, um, you know, um, and, I, and I get it. It's, I mean, none of us want to hang out with Eeyore, right? Um, but he's so but, cute. He needs a hug. Okay. You know, or no one wants to be with Debbie Downer. But, um, but yeah, Debbie Downer needs positive people in her life. Um, yeah. and, and that experience and stuff. And so there's boundaries to all that, right? Sure. Um, you shouldn't stay in a toxic work environment and maybe there is a hard conversation that eventually needs to come around and say, Hey, are you open to talking about your, your emotional intelligence here? <laughs> your behaviors, what's really going on. But again, I think there's a huge value in really understanding what's motivating you in that moment and bringing back people to, you know, a positive emotional state. Mm-hmm. You, you bring up the issue of motivation, though, is is uh, really relevant and humbling for me, because in the assessment we do, that's the fifth piece. You know, one is self-awareness, self-regulation, self-regulation being two, uh, other awareness and other regulation. So there's one, two, three, four. The fifth thing is we assess motivation. And that's where in my assessment, I was most humbled uh, by it, because um, I came out pretty low motivation to make uh, situations around me emotionally healthy. And at first I felt the defensiveness of, no, that's not who I am. These, these assessments are all screwed up. You know, <laughs> how can, how can they use 26 <laughs> questions and know me? Right. Right. But right. as I read it, dang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and right. I realized that in me, there is an attitude that I think comes with a certain amount of age. I don't mind saying I'm 61 years old where you say, you know what, this is just who I am. And mm. it me, this is who you get. And uh, if that's not okay with you, then let's just move on. Mm-hmm. And you know what, there are circumstances where that's right. You know, where you don't completely change your life for somebody else. And you say, no, one of the things I've learned in life is, is that's not a healthy situation for me, or that's not what I do well. So there's some truth to that. But in terms of emotional uh, intelligence, the motivation to say, uh, no, I do want healthy emotional uh, environments around me. I do have places I can grow. Um, I do impact others by my behavior. And I care. Um, I, I had to revisit that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I need to care. <laughs> yeah, that's that yeah. zone of like... Uh, kind of personality versus behavior or place and time as well. You know, like, yeah, you don't want to try to change somebody and you don't want somebody to try to change you. That's toxic. But behavior and time and place and what's appropriate, that that's the kind of the topic that I think we're talking about. Not manipulating people into other people, into being other people. Yeah. Well, and you know, if you're unwilling to change it is also where apathy kind of sets in, um, especially into an organization setting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if, if I'm not motivated to grow, um, where does that leave you at the end of the day? You know, Uh, I mean, 
I think we've said this multiple times on this podcast, you're either growing or you're dying one or the other. Um, and so, yeah, if you're not motivated to change, you're not motivated to grow and learn, um, you know, this kind of goes all the way back to Brian's, you know, one of his main questions that he's really good at asking within our executive coaching is, you know, what kind of life do you want to end up with at the end? What's the legacy that you want? And, um, you know, um, gosh, I'd hate it to be the, the, well, he was a really angry dude. <laughs> yeah. I'm really hoping that people always know me as the grump. Yeah, right. <laughs> Here lies grumpy. <laughs> uh, something that comes back to me that sort of, uh, and, and I don't know, Jeremy, whether you're headed toward wrapping this up, but it wraps, it wraps it up for me is that I was sitting with a, a family counselor one time and she said, she wasn't counseling me. She was talking about her own life. And she said, um, a question that I have learned to ask others that I don't like to ask is this, go to somebody and say, what's it like to be on the receiving end of me? What a courageous question. And emotional intelligence is all about being willing to ask that question of those around us, listen to them carefully, grant some validity to their view and grow so that it's a good thing to be on the receiving end of me. Um, so to me, that's part of what's at the heart of all this. Yeah. And it makes you a better person and it makes you a better leader and emotional intelligence is absolutely something that you can measure and it's something you can grow in and, and be able to learn. So, um, we have the tools, um, here at career brand story, uh, to help people walk through those assessments. Um, Brian is a, a great coach and guy to be able to do that with. So we're looking forward, um, to walking a lot of people through, um, what emotional intelligence is and, and to be able to, to help people grow through that so that they become better leaders, um, you know, uh, in their organizations. Um, so it's good stuff. All right. So that was this like beautifully wrapped up wrap up. Let me be the guy to throw it sideways and say, let's define EQ. We're talking about emotional intelligence. What does EQ stand for when we say EQ? Quiznos? Well, it's, it's your emotional qu it's quotient. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like Just want to make that clear quotient. for they're, they're our going off listeners. Of IQ there. So quotient is just measuring your intelligence. EQ is measuring your emotions. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Just wanted to clear that up for listeners who might be wondering. Talking about missing the obvious question. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you, Jeb. You're welcome. That's why we have you here. <laughs> By the way, guys, 40 minutes ago, you should have answered this question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, hey. We never said our IQ was high. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll definitely be diving deeper uh, into each of these components. We really just want to give a high overview today because um, we, we could spend time in each one of these categories, which we will do. Um, and we'll kind of walk through these with everybody and, and take a little bit deeper dive into each one of these spots um, in later podcasts. So thanks for... Um, sharing with us, Brian, and, and helping us walk through um, emotional intelligence, 
or EQ emotional quotient today. You're welcome. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to be with you. You may have been told that IQ is important, but we want to make sure that you know that EQ is equally as vital to your growth and success on the job. EQ, your emotional quotient or emotional intelligence is all about your ability to recognize and understand emotions. Emotions are behind everything people do. So it is important to have emotional awareness at work and practice managing yourself and your relationships with those that are around you. If you're able to identify and regulate your own emotions and related actions, interpret the emotions of others, and understand the motivations behind your emotions, you'll have further success in the workplace. EQ is not just something we were born with, but it's a skill that we have to hone in. Here are some ways that you can increase your EQ. Communicate assertively. Brene Brown says that direct communication is kind. And when we act in a passive or passive aggressive or just an aggressive way, we're showing our emotional immaturity. In order to be a good communicator at work, we must communicate directly and be assertive. Respond rather than react. In times of conflict, it's easy to have a knee-jerk reaction to what the other person is saying. However, the emotional mature employee will take time to listen, to think, and then appropriately respond in times of conflict. Be an active listener. All too often, we listen in order to respond. Active listening involves listening in order to understand what the other person is actually saying. So we have to be attentive to body language, to tone, and other communication indicators that are easy to miss if you're just kind of stuck in your own head. Try working on at least one of these skills this week and see how it improves your experiences wherever you're working. If you like what you heard today, you can hear more every week from us by opting into our email newsletter. Right now, we're giving away our free Know Yourself PDF. Simply go to jeremytutor.com to sign up today. We promise we won't spam your inbox. We simply send one email each week with our expert career coaching. And by the way, if you're wondering where you can follow, like, comment, you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Just search for Jeremy Tudor. And on Instagram, it's at Jeremy T. Tudor. Also, while many of you listen to this podcast, because that's what a podcast is for, you can also watch each episode on YouTube. Search Jeremy Tudor, our career brand story to find us and smash the subscribe button. All right, Brian, where can we find you? On LinkedIn, and I'm at Brian Post. Uh, on Instagram, I am at Thrive Scripts. And you can always email me at brian at careerbrandstory.com. Great. And Jeb, I'm a little confused why we could find you in a creek this week. Man, I was looking for my dinner. <laughs> and by dinner, I meant looking for payment from a photography shoot that I was on, standing in a creek, waiting for the light to get nice. And unfortunately, the light never got nice. But I got the shot I needed. And to your main point, you can find me at jebgraff.com, J-E-B-B-G-R-A-F-F.com. Instagram at Jeb Graff and LinkedIn, all the other social media channels, same handle, Jeb Graff. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and keep thriving. If you're interested in advertising your business on our podcast, we advertise for local and national companies. Contact McKay at careerbrandstory.com for more information. That's M-C-C-A-Y at career